Welcome to Women Winning It Writing Podcast Show. I am your host, Chelsea McCoy, and this is the show where we talk about all things writing and all things editing from a woman's perspective. This show is brought to you by Your Writing Table, where we help you tell your story your way in your words. This show has been developed to discuss the behind the scenes of the book writing journey and the writer's experience. We talk about a range of things from what inspired you to write your book, what your writing process was like, maybe you experienced writer block and we definitely talk about editing experiences and so much more our goal is to provide inspiration motivation encouragement and to break down the myth that writing a book is impossible if this is your first time joining us again my name is chelsea and i am a published author editor and the owner of your writing table which provides full service book writing consulting editing and publishing services i've been writing and editing for over 20 years and i guarantee you i eat sleep and breathe writing and editing for all our returning listeners thank you so much for being a part of our podcast family we appreciate you and we thank you for all the support the questions you send in for topic suggestions and all the positive feedback last but not least thank you to all of our partners who support us financially and help us to continue creating quality content while providing a platform for women writers to share their writing journey promote their books brands and their businesses if you would like to become a partner please click on the link at the end of the episode notes for more information and one last thing don't forget to follow us hey we need y'all we need the followers please please click the follow button on spotify iHeartRadio, apple Podcasts, or whichever platform you prefer to listen to your podcast on again you just got to click the follow or subscribe notify so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they drop thank you so much we appreciate y'all And now let's get into today's episode. Hello, listeners. Hello, hello. Welcome to another amazing episode of Women Winning at Writing. And we are so glad that you have tuned in with us to talk to another phenomenal woman who is doing some amazing things in the world of writing. And y'all, you know, our social climate is really changing. I've been watching the news. I'm pretty sure all of you have been seeing just so many different things that are going on, not just in your local area, but globally. Um, It's just a lot. It's a lot going on. And not only are, you know, people talking about things on the news, but people are writing about it. You know, the blogs, newspaper articles, um, you know, there's just a lot that people are, they're using writing to be able to express not just their own personal opinions, but also, of course, to share the facts, the things that are going on um, within our world, within our society. And today's guest, she is also doing the same thing. She is doing some phenomenal things in writing and she's bringing attention to sociocultural topics, political topics and things that just make you want to sit back and look at it from a different perspective. And, you know, I'm just so excited about what she's doing because it's not only opening doors for women writers, but it's also, again, giving us another perspective at how to look at things that are going on in our world, in our region, and not just in your local neighborhood, but also abroad, you know, like what's going on in the state, what's going on in the state next to you, what's going on in the country, you know, so um, it's, it's just really profound what she's writing. So without further ado, please, please help me welcome Professor Hajar Yasdiha, or Hash for short. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chelsea. This is so awesome. I love your show. I'm excited to be here. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know what? We're just going to dive right in because I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about. Like, I'm just chomping at the bit. (laughs) So please tell us about yourself and your book, your writing journey. Yeah. So I am an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Southern California. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, so this is really my first time living in California. We've been here since 2017, and I grew up in Northern Virginia, but I'm also the daughter of Iranian immigrants, and I myself was born in Germany, so I was not born in the States. I cannot run for president, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But you know what? I think the main thing for me is like the, the way that I grew up as a kind of daughter of immigrants growing up in a predominantly white community. It really shaped my sociological imagination and it it shaped my kind of motivation to really pursue writing in a a nonfiction space and to reflect the world and hopefully do some social good. And so this is my first book I wrote and it's called The Struggle for the People's King, How Politics Transforms the Memory of the Civil Rights Movement. And it's a book that explores the misuses of Dr. King's legacy and of the civil rights movement. And it shows us how it has these consequences for our democracy. Wow. I mean, the fact, well, first, before we even go into that, shout out to West Coast, to California, because for those of y'all who know, I am originally a West Coast girl, born and raised in Southern Cal, SoCal, as they call it. So shout out to all of the West Coast <laughs> listeners and to the USC students and alumni. No, I didn't go to SC, but I was at UCSD, so I am part of the UC system. So yeah, shout out to that. And congratulations on (laughs) you being one of the valued professors that is teaching, you know, our future, you know, that you have an impact. So that is that is awesome. Um, The fact that you decided to write a book on this particular topic. I mean, that's just so profound. Um, Dr. King, as we already know, I mean, he's pivotal. He's critical, right? You you can't think of black history. You, some, you can't even really think of civil rights without thinking of him, you know? Um, so what inspired you to write this particular book on this topic? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such a good question. I mean, I think especially when you hear, you know, daughter of Iranian immigrants and, you know, what, how would you make that connection? And so... I'm glad you asked the question. So for me, it was really, like I said, growing up is kind of feeling like an outsider. It's something that always pushed me to want to understand how the boundaries between us get made. You know, these questions of power and racism and why it's so hard for everyone to actually live on kind of equal ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so even from a young age, you know, I think like every kid has probably watched Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. You know, they roll out the big TV. I was a child of the 80s. I'm aging myself. But, you know, they roll out the TV. And I remember watching that speech and it gave me chills. And I connected with it in a way that stayed with me so long past that history lesson. And so really it was growing up and starting to read more from the great black thinkers like W.E.B. Du Bois, James Baldwin, Audre Lorde. And it was in the history of black thought that, you know, I kind of started to make much more sense of my own experiences as an outsider, kind of trying to understand where I fit in within this American space where like usually we just kind of have this black white binary and immigrants are sort of somewhere in between. But I think all of those things really pushed me to think more deeply about the history of Black struggle in this country and how it actually touches all of us, whether we are Black or not. And that was really what what drew me to start studying race and social movements when I went into my PhD program at UNC Chapel Hill. And it was during that time that there was this 
court case playing out, which was Abigail Fisher. She was a young white woman who was rejected from the University of Texas at Austin. And she claimed it was because she was white. And so she was taking this case to the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. And her lawyers and all of the advocates around the case were using Dr. King's words, his one quote from the dream speech about being judged by the content of your character and not the color of your skin. And they were using this quote out of context to claim that Dr. King himself would be opposed to affirmative action. And I remember just being floored. I was like, how do we get to a point where in the highest court in the land, Dr. King's words can be used out of context like this in this ahistoric way? And that really took me down the rabbit hole. So that's really where the project started. And I mean, this was back in like, you know, mid kind of early 2010s. And so you can probably imagine how long it's taken me to get to this point of publishing this book. Definitely. Wow. I mean, and just to listen to the cases and the research just getting you to the book (laughs) getting you to the point to start writing the book I mean those are some heavy topics right you know I mean writing about sociocultural topics is already challenging and some of them can be controversial and definitely as we're dealing with affirmative action and we've seen some of the things that have happened as a result you know um, I know in the state of Texas the governor I please forgive me if I'm quoting this incorrectly but they have been having talks about removing some of the college entrance qualifications based on affirmative action or things that were connected to affirmative action so there's a lot that goes into that and like you said they can go all the way back to Dr. King's speech and other things that he stated about race and civil rights and they 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 can be misused they are misused at times what are your thoughts on that when you're you know when it comes to writing about sociocultural topics or you know commenting on them you know like stating your position so to speak you know what are your thoughts on that oh my gosh it's it's so deeply uncomfortable and I think that's been one of the the great lessons for me because I think part of growing up in a community where you do feel like an outsider is that you learn to make yourself very small and so I grew up understanding that I was best off if I kind of kept my mouth shut and went with the flow, even when people said things I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. Um, That would keep me safe, right? That would keep me in the loop. It would give me more access and proximity to people with power and status. And I kept my mouth shut for a very, very long time. And I think it was really, I mean, part of it is the influence of really diving into these histories of Black struggle and realizing just how deeply unpopular Dr. King was. The fact that 75% of Americans despised him in the last year of his life. The fact that the civil rights movement was deeply unpopular. The fact that folks were putting their lives on the line, right? Putting their lives on the line by speaking truth to power. So I think it's some of the inspiration that comes from that that leads me to think, you know, I'm a sociologist. And so my work is not commenting or opining, you know, giving my personal opinion about things in the public sphere. My work is to study the evidence and to do the best empirical research I can, gain all the evidence I can, study it with a really critical eye, ask questions about how I'm measuring things, you know, what are the sort of assumptions I'm making. So all of this methodology, right, has built into it the idea that you can achieve some semblance of objectivity, 
Mm-hmm. But as you know, you know, there is there's no objectivity in science, whether it's social science or hard science. There's always going to be a human lens that's imposed on it. And so for me, it was most important to center the voices of the folks I was studying and not my own. I mean, one of the things I write in the preface is, you know, that continual self-reflection was essential throughout the research and writing. Like, I really had to check in with myself at every turn and be like, am I imposing my own opinion on this section or am I centering the actual voices of the people in the study, even if I don't agree with them at times? And so I really had to think about it. It was such a back and forth process. And I had a lot of fear because I was writing things about, you know, deep systems of racism that continue to exist. A lot of well-meaning people, you know, who quote Dr. King, who, you know, posed like as if the civil rights movement was this really kind of glorious moment of kumbaya with white and black people holding hands and that racism ended. And the good intentions, unfortunately, don't negate the fact that a lot of these moments, these false invocations have these dangerous impacts. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so really for me, it was, it was that part where I felt like I had to tell this story, even if it made me feel scared and uncomfortable about, you know, the people I was going to piss off, including people that I know very well, my own friends, family members. And so, you know, again, like in the preface, I write that I, I hope the struggle for the people's king will be read with a spirit of curiosity, learning and self reflection. Because to me, that's really where the power of writing lies mm-hmm. is in reflecting some right. of the, the hidden tension that's already alive underneath the surface, right? We bring it to the surface and we tell those stories, even if they're scary to tell. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I mean, just to take that even further, one of the chapters in your book talks about the Me Too movement, which we all know how powerful and controversial (laughs) that whole thing Uh was so not only do you talk about the me too movement but you also talk about oprah's speech at the golden globe awards so now in your opinion what do those specific things mean for women and women writers and what i mean by that should women continue to explore topics such as the me too movement and socio-cultural things like race and civil rights and you know things that dr king stood for Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things I really want to draw out in that chapter is that, so the Me Too movement is emerging in the wake of Black Lives Matter. And of course, as we know, it's a moment where Alyssa Milano is initially the face, she's a white woman, and people are immediately calling her in, really. They're calling her in more than out. They're saying, Tarana Burke, a black woman, has been doing this work for decades. You know, she needs to be centralized here. And Alyssa Milano you know, actually listens, because I think this is a moment where in the wake of Black Lives Matter, things have shifted, right? Mm -hmm. There's a growing kind of social awareness, social consciousness. And a big part of that chapter is really showing how we have to go to the past. We have to reckon with the kind of dirty, messy stuff that feels uncomfortable Mm -hmm. if we actually want to be able to heal and repair and move forward together. And And so that's a chapter that's really about Black and white feminists trying to do this work of reckoning together and dealing with the fact that white feminism in this country has historically been anti-black. And so that's an uncomfortable recognition, right? Like, I think this is the type of work that ends up being so, you know, kind of messy. It doesn't have a clear ending. But, you know, to your question, I think drawing out from that chapter, for me, was really the takeaway that we have to be really conscious of whose stories we're telling. Uh uh We have to be conscious that, right, like of whose stories get told, whose stories are believed, who gets prioritized. 
you know, who's kind of given the benefit of the doubt. Uh-huh. And I think that's why it's both essential for women to tell these stories and also essential for them to do that work of self-reflection, which yeah. is not kind of one-off where like, oh, all right, I took like a racial consciousness class, for example. It's constantly doing that work of checking in with yourself and trying to think about if, whether you're writing characters or whether you're writing nonfiction, right? Thinking about what stories am I privileging here? Who's missing, right? And then what are the consequences of the folks that I've left out? Yeah. Or the consequences of telling the story in a particular way? That's good. That's really good. So now that you have addressed such an amazing topic, <laughs> And you've already said, you know, you did this in spite of, you know, the possibility that your friends and colleagues might, you know, turn an eyebrow or males look at you as a woman. You know, what are you doing writing about this? You know, or why are you writing this? Why are you contradicting me and, you know, and what I'm saying? What has the feedback been like so far from those who have read the book? Yeah, I mean, I think I've I've been lucky that at least the in-person book events have been so overwhelmingly positive and warm and receptive. I mean, it's been a really good experience just talking to publics as opposed to just scholars, right? Talking to everyday people who, you know, are doing this work, who are embedded in their communities, who've been involved in the work of organizing, who bring a ton of knowledge to the table. So I've been learning from them as well because I think of myself as an eagle's eye thinker. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking from, you know, way up and looking down and making the connections. Yeah. But the folks on the ground are like, they are the ones in the trenches doing this work every single day. Right. So it's been really cool to actually connect the two and think about you know, what some of the takeaways might be for, uh-huh. you know, people who are not proper activists, but, you know, are really interested in challenging some of this revisionist history and the way that it's connected to dismantling democracy. But I think the other thing is also, um, you know, I've certainly made the mistake of going into the comments sections. Everybody says, don't read the comments sections. (laughs) I've definitely made the mistake of doing that with some public facing, like essays and op-eds that I've written. Um, And yeah, that's been tough. That's been really tough. And I think it's still important because it, it just reminds me that the work I'm doing does kind of trigger, you know, it, it pushes a couple buttons, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is forcing everyday people to kind of confront their own internalized assumptions about yeah. race, about systems of power, about their own place within all of this. So I don't expect, of course, that you're going to write a book like this and, and have everybody just kind of welcome you with open arms. Right. But it's like I said, yeah, like all I really want is for people to just become more curious. That's the invitation. It's to become more curious about what some of these misuses of history are doing. What is the purpose of them? Yeah. And so now, since you are a professor, have any of your students read the book? Yes. Yes. My students have been amazing. Okay. So when I also say this, and you asked about reception, I think this is a funny question too, because it, it helps, I think, those of us who think about writing a lot, the craft of writing, I think it's a lot of your listeners. To think about that question of audience, my mom herself was like, some of these chapters, they are so academic. Like, I cannot read these. And I was like, <laughs> I was like mom. <laughs> but you know what? She's she's right. And some of my undergraduate students are also like, Professor Yazdia, yeah, this is like a little bit hard. Can you walk us through this? I describe my book as a choose-your-own-adventure because it does have those dense academic pieces, which are not intended to be so difficult. You know, that's maybe just a matter of my writing, and that's something I can keep working on. But I, I do think there are chapters, and like you said, the Me Too one, for example, 
that resonate a lot with young people because it's happened in their lifetime, they're familiar with it. Also helps them think about what's going on right now, like why it feels like we're so deeply divided. And I always say it comes back to these questions of how we represent the past and then how it shapes our identity. And so it can be really hard to talk across those divides when we're living in different social realities. Yeah, that's so true. But you know, it's funny when you're writing academically versus business or fiction, you know, or some other type of genre, academic writing is its its own style, right? That's Um, true. When I was in school, when I was getting my master's degree, um, and even when I was doing my undergrad work, it was like, okay, writing these academic papers is totally different than when I'm writing a book. And like you just said, the writing, your writing style, it's almost like you have to say, wait, who am I writing for? You know, right. um, okay, wait, wait, wait. If I write it like this, who's going to understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so for yeah. under, so for your undergrad students to say, hey, professor, can you walk us through? And then your mom is like, wait, this is difficult. So that brings us really right into the next question. What was your writing process like since, you know, now it's like, okay, you had to do this research. And of course you're, you're dropping some heavy, heavy nuggets. You know, you're writing about a topic that is not warm and fuzzy and cozy and bringing all the feel goods. You know, this is a, it's a sticky situation. Yes. Yes. I mean, the question of audience was probably the hardest one for me and it's not one that I ever quite settled on and I think that's reflected in the fact that you do have both the parts of the book that are deeply academic they are clearly for other scholars to use and hopefully adapt to thinking about their own research but there's also what I think of as the bulk of the book which is the parts that are directed at everybody because I really think this is a story for everybody. And so that's really like during the process of writing, the the tension that I had to keep negotiating was the fact that I'm a tenure track professor, right? You know, I want to get tenure. And so it does require exhibiting a level of academic prowess and showing my bona fides. But then at the same time, I felt like the topic of the book, what brought me in my whole soul to this book was a commitment to representing and amplifying these histories of Black struggle, their importance to all of us as mm-hmm. a blueprint for collective liberation. Yeah, yeah. And so, right? So it just felt like it, I had to be able to do both. And again, I think it's my first book. And something I've thought about a lot is all the things that I would do differently next time. But I, I still think there's some value in, I, I don't want to say doing something for everybody, but I think if you can't decide then just just do something, right? It's better than being debilitated, which I truly was for like Mm -hmm. a good year and a half. I was just debilitated by this question of audience and how to write. I'm sure, definitely. I mean, because it's like super complex, but again, I just, I love the fact that you even took this challenge on, right? (laughs) Because this was a heavy, a heavy topic. So one of our last questions before we wrap up, what was your favorite part about writing this particular book? Oh my gosh, I learned so much. So I say in the introduction to the book that the book is not a history because I'm not a historian, I'm a sociologist. It is much more a sociological story about how the past can get used in politics in all sorts of ways that are actually really dangerous. And so for me, what was so great is that in the process of researching and writing and trying to put the pieces together, I actually did learn a lot of history. And all it did was really drive home this conviction that we 
need to know our past in order to proceed into a collective future. You know, one of the things I say all the time, and I, I believe so strongly in it, is that there is no reconciliation without reckoning. And reckoning is the work of digging into that deep and messy history. Ooh, that's and so, so true. that for me, right, that was the process of writing the book, was a process of internal reckoning and then also making a call for collective reckoning. That's good. That is really good. So now one last question. What would you say to a woman who's thinking of writing a book in this genre, this space? Like, what would you tell her? Yeah, well, I think it depends on who she is, because I think the question of identity actually shapes a lot of the ways that we approach this work of writing about social goods and social problems and racism, these big questions of power that are messy and complicated. So our relationship within those spaces, who we are, the level of power that we have actually matters a lot. And so for somebody like me, who, for example, is neither white nor black and is approaching this through a lot of kind of critical reflection about herself as well, I would say, first of all, get out of your head because I think it's too easy to talk yourself out of it. There's a lot of fear that goes into it. And so I I think one thing, get out of your head. The work is important. But then two, I think you have to reflect continuously at every juncture from collecting the data, doing the research, all the way to thinking about how the book will be structured, who your audience is. Continue to reflect on what the implications are of talking to one group versus another, telling one story versus another, because it's never going to be a perfect process. Like I said, there are certainly things I would do differently, but I think we have to have a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. when we decide to do the work of telling these stories. It can't be, pardon my language, half-assed. And so I, I think, I think that's my big advice is really the work of reflection. And so get out of your head, but then don't forget that you're also within the story, whether you're telling a story about yourself or not. And that's good. And I absolutely love that. I love that. Well, Haj, thank you so much for being our guest today. Before we close, how can listeners connect with you? How can they get a copy of this phenomenal book? Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. This has been so fun and so fast. I know Um, it does. It goes by like lightning. So you can um, buy my book anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, you can also find it at bookshop.org if you like to support indie bookstores, which I personally do. And then also I'm on social media. So you can find me on Instagram at prof, that's P-R-O-F, Hajariyazdiha, H-A-J-A-R-Y-A-Z-D-I-H-A, or on formerly known as Twitter at Hajariyazdiha. Perfect. And we will make sure to include all of this information in the episode notes so listeners will be able to click and get access to this book. Well, again, thank you so, so much. This has been so enriching and so enlightening. Um, I feel like I've learned so much just in this short span of time. And listeners, I just encourage you all to get a copy of this book. Um, It's going to take you places that you didn't think about <laughs> as far as socio-cultural, you know, things that you're thinking about um, within the society, you know, to kind of get you out of your, like you said, get out of your immediate space and just kind of give you something to think about to m- cause you to become curious. And so um, again, I just want to say thank you. Any last words before we close out? 
No, you know what? I want to leave listeners with one of my favorite Dr. King quotes, because I think it's the one that helps us not just in our everyday lives, but also when we're writing, which is that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I love it. There's nothing else that needs to be said. So thank you again, Hodge, for being our guest on today's show. And listeners, you guys know how we close them out. Keep winning at writing. And until next time, everyone be blessed. Bye for now.